Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Today we get to look at the readings for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. And all these readings are actually really quite challenging. And one of the reasons that they're challenging is how do we actually deal with them and apply them to our daily life, our struggles in faith, our struggles in what we know we should be doing, what we should be doing in the world, what we should be doing in church. Our Old Testament lesson comes to us from the prophet Amos. And it is really clear that God is not happy with Israel. And this is the divided kingdom. And Amos is going to uh, the people that are not his community. He's going to the northern kingdom and he's calling them out. And just listen to the, the vehemence, the, the, the absolute straightforward bluntness that is given to the prophet by God. Hear this, you who trample on the needy. And bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when, we, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grains, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make an ephah small and a shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chafe of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. So not to be funny, if the prophet of God shows up, it is usually not because Israel is doing good and the prophet has been sent to be the cheerleader to tell everybody, good job. Usually the prophet shows up to correct, admonish, and point out what's wrong. And in this text, in the Old Testament lesson, you have God pointing out that Israel is just fat, happy, and they are living a decadent life, they're lazy, they're complacent, all the things that you want to say. This is what they're doing. In fact, they just want to get through the religious ceremonies. They want to get through the things that they have to do so they can get back to selling, so they can get back to doing what they want to do. You hear Amos pointing out deceitful scales. That means they're putting the, the thumb on the scale to make it weigh more so that they can get more money. You see that the people of God are treating God's gift of material, of food, of commerce. They are treating this deceitfully, and they're building their wealth and putting their trust in their wealth to the point that they see the poor, the needy, as things to be dealt with or things to ignore or things to sell or things to put to work. Notice 
They're not talking about the humanity of the poor. They're not talking about how they've been blessed by God to live a comfortable life, to help others also live a comfortable life. And this isn't saying that because you have wealth or because you live in comfort, you should then give everything and make everybody else comfort. The idea is, what are you doing in the blessings that God has given to you to serve your neighbor, to help others? And it's all about perspective, because again, you have the prophet of the Old Testament, Amos, reminding Israel, do you know what it took to get you into this promised land? Do you know what it took to get you to this place of comfort, to this place where you truly can enjoy life and the wealth that God has blessed you with? You had to be broken out of the slavery of Pharaoh of Egypt. You had to wander in the desert. You had to go through king after king that was not good. You had to wait for God to act, God to build, God to bless. And now you take advantage of God's gifts, God's blessings, and misuse them, and then claim that it is you who are doing this. You claim that this is your life, this is your God, this is your idol, and so on and so forth. And again, we simply see how much these people put their trust in things, in stuff, in their work, in the selling, the buying, to the point where they're not even recognizing their needy, their poor as people they get to help, as people that they get to serve. And this is really important because even today we have the situation of what do we do with the poor? How can I, as the individual, do something? How can I help the homeless? How can I help the needy? And then immediately, and I don't know if you do this, dear listener, but when you start thinking about the homeless, the needy, the poor, do you immediately ask, how did they get there? And do they really need my help? Is it their fault? Is it something they did or didn't do? And, you know, so on and so forth. And that list is really endless. But that doesn't stop us from realizing that we have been given the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of the love of God in Christ Jesus revealed through the Holy Ghost so that we get to show others that very love. And that actually brings us right into the gospel lesson, which is awkward and hard because it is a parable of Jesus. And Jesus has this amazing way of making these great points and just picking at the Pharisees and showing his might, his power, his strength in these subtle subtle ways. So this is the parable of the shrewd manager. And you have this man who is managing the affairs and the, the business of this wealthy man, but he's mismanaging. He's not doing his job. And the owner realizes this and says, you're fired. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't have you messing stuff up. And the shrewd manager, he realizes something. He says, I can't dig. I can't do manual labor. This is the only job I've ever known. And thinking back again to the prophet Amos and what he's saying and what he's challenging the people of Israel, this shrewd manager got comfortable, got complacent, 
to the point where he wasn't doing his job. And when he is threatened to be fired, he realizes all the good things that he had, the ability to be lazy, the ability to steal time, the ability to do what he wanted to do almost unchecked is going to be taken away from him. And he panics. What do I do? How am I going to live? And so he starts using the owner's wealth and owner's business to make friends. He changes bills. He changes what people owe. He changes what needs to be done so that those people who owe money or receiving goods or whatever, they see the work that the shrewd manager is doing for their benefit And so this way, that when he really does get fired, he can say, hey, remember, I forgave that loan. Or remember, I didn't charge you the full worth of X, Y, and Z. How about you help me out? And favor for favor, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And who knows, maybe this man did receive good favors and help from the people that he helped by lowering their cost or their bill or or whatever he did for their benefit. And then Jesus says this very hard thing for us. And this is from verse 8 to 9. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And this is Jesus. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. It sounds like Jesus is telling us, hey, be deceitful with your stuff. And that way you'll have friends in the world. Just in case stuff doesn't work out, you get to use these things to make friends, to be able to continue to live and and do what you need to do. What is fascinating about this is Jesus has already established how he views earthly material things. Let that be money. Let that be house. Let that be cars, watches, wealth, mammon. And I love the word mammon, which which we don't use often enough. And it just really means material things, commonly money. What do you do with your money? What do you do with your stuff? Do you put your trust in your investments? Do you put your trust in your social standings by showing off what you can buy, what you own, what you wear? Well, we would quickly say, no, I I don't do that. I have the blessing of having good quality fill in the blank, but I don't put my trust in that. I don't put my love in that. I don't put my faith in stuff. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this text, that God has blessed you with material things. We need clothing to protect us from the elements, from the weather, from all the other things of this world. We need to protect us from the shame that we now suffer in our corrupt fall. We need houses for shelter to sleep under, to live in, and so on and so forth, buildings to work in. We need cars to get to where we're going, so on and so forth. God has blessed us with the ability to build and to make and to manufacture all these amazing things. The question is, 
How do we use them in God-pleasing ways? And so when Jesus is saying, make friends with unrighteous wealth, and it's the idea that God is giving you all of this stuff that we misuse. And notice, we misuse it. We turn this for sinful use, sinful ways, and so on and so forth. It's what we do by nature in our fallen state until the resurrection when we get to do and be perfect. So when Jesus says, use this unrighteous wealth, it's not that we're stealing stuff and then trying to give it to the church and saying, hey, look how great I am and I'm doing good. It is the idea that the world trusts in investments, in money, in social standings, in uh, fancy cars, fancy clothes, whatever, whatever the tropes for that is. The world puts a lot of stock, a lot of emphasis on stuff. And God is saying, hey, I've given you that stuff. Use it. Use it for the betterment and benefit of yourself and that you too may win friends, that you too may win relationships. And this doesn't mean that you're buying friendships. This doesn't mean you're showing off, I have this super duper fancy car because I have been blessed by God. And if you become a Christian, if you join my church, you too will be blessed with this fancy car. Nothing like that. It is the idea that you get to use your wealth in the world, regardless of what you have or don't have. You get to use what God has blessed you with to gain friends, to show who and what you are, a redeemed, blood-bought saint, so that when the unrighteous wealth falls through, as it will, because it does nothing, it offers nothing for you in the eternal sense of the resurrection and life everlasting. But what do we get to do in this life? How do we get to use our wealth to benefit others and benefit ourselves? And again, none of this can be seen in selfish ways. We don't buy friends. We don't buy salvation. We don't buy church members. We don't buy anything in this way. We get to use mammon. We get to use wealth. We get to use material goods to then show who and what we are. We are the ones dependent upon God. We are the ones dependent upon the work of the cross that Jesus died in for our salvation. Can we then use our car, our money, our clothes, our whatever to get people to see that? Yes. And our imagination is the only thing standing in the way. I don't have an immediate uh, one-for-one correlation answer, do this and this will happen. But we have these opportunities again and again in our daily life, and we get to do this planned out in various activities through the church, uh, evangelism programs, social programs, whatever. We get to utilize the resources that God has placed into our life, not for our selfish 
comfort, not for our selfish laziness. And I will be the first to speak up on this. That's exactly what I want to do. It's easy. It's nice. But we're called to so much more. We are called to be shrewd managers of these gifts. And this doesn't mean taking away from God from, for our benefit, but taking away from us. That means sacrificial life for the benefit of others, to serve God in the fullness of his gifts that he has given to us. And this is what Christ is laying out. And this is exactly what pokes the Pharisees, because you hear that in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. And this is just huge. And this should strike us because how easy is it to, to show off, look what I have done. Look how much I have given. Look at X, Y, and Z. But is our heart actually in it? Are we sacrificially living in the understanding of what it took to rescue us? The ultimate sacrifice that God gave in Christ, are we reflecting that in the way we treat others, in the way we give to the church or other social uh, organizations that help the needy, that help the poor, that help whoever that we can't do by ourselves? We need to think about how we participate and live in this world. How are we giving? How are we living? How are we providing? How are we participating in the life of Christ as Christ comes to the world? And, and again, I, I made the statement that our imagination is what stands in the way. We really do get to be boundless in the mercy and love of God. And it is in that that we will struggle because it's hard. Faith is hard. It's very simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. If it was easy, well, everybody would be doing it. We're, we're told to save. We're told to uh, look out for number one, so on and so forth. And there's a lot to that. We are not to forsake ourselves and just simply give everything. We have the gift of our body. We have the gift of our life. But how do we use that? How do we live that out for the benefit, for the love of the neighbor and the love of God? So there's a lot going on. And again, there's a lot of practical things in this. And we will struggle with this because... I don't know about you, but I like stuff. I like my things. And it's hard to remember to not put our trust, not to let the stuff run our lives. It's easy to just put our hope, our love, our appreciation, whatever, in things. Because we get to control them and we get to be the Lord and master of our life. And God reveals he is the Lord and Master, and He has given you your stuff to be lived out, to be used. 
for his benefit and your life in him and in forevermore. So again, very interesting text, and this is something that I'm going to delightfully wrestle with as, as I make visits, as I talk to people, uh, trying to figure out how do we deal with this? And so I'm curious, if you have any ideas or any applications, please email, please uh, make up a statement on the, the Facebook page. Uh, we'll also have a recording of this podcast that should be on the Facebook page also. And I would also like to thank Mr. Nielsen for liking all the posts on Twitter and giving a shout out to Get Right for Sunday. We've gained a couple of more followers, and I, I really appreciate it. If you all would like this podcast and tell others, it is the true joy of pointing out and preparing the listener to hear the Word of God, and not just hear it, but then to apply it to their life and to strengthen their faith that when they encounter God in the divine service, they hear his voice. They hear his preaching, his teaching, and his gifts through their pastor. So with great joy, thank you all for listening. And please let me know what else I can do as I continue to search how we can prepare to get right for Sunday. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.